Renegade Broadcasting. Hard-hitting talk radio. show, so if anyone would like to call in, uh, please feel free to call in if you have any input or have any questions on things, and uh, it'd be nice to talk. So I'm going to start out reading an article that I found uh, called Yoga and the Roots of Cultural Appropriation, and I think this was from a couple of years ago. Uh, it's written by uh, two women, one, uh, an Indian woman who is a professor, and the other one, um, a Jewish woman who refers to herself as an anti-racist uh, white Jewish organizer. So this article basically uh, is saying that if we are doing yoga, us whites, if we're doing yoga, uh, we are um, culturally appropriating and that uh, yoga is basically inherently white supremacist, a white, a thing that white supremacists do and that we contribute to that by doing it, even though we invented it. So I'm going to read this article, uh, again, called Yoga and the Roots of Cultural Appropriation, and I'm going to interject uh, some of my own uh, comments while I'm going to read it. Okay, so here we go. To the so many white people who practice yoga, please don't stop, but please do take a moment to look outside of yourself and understand how the history of yoga practice in the United States is intimately linked to some of the larger forces of white supremacy. The origins of yoga can be traced back to South Asia. And that's not true. Uh, North uh, India, actually, and it was our people. A space colonized by the British and the Portuguese. The reason why yoga became so popular and why various Indian yogis, yogis started traveling to England and then the United States to, quote, sell yoga is also tied up with colonialism. Yoga was often used as a tool to show the British that Indians were not backwards or primitive, but that their religion was scientific, healthy, and rational. 
They're talking about um, Ayurveda as well, which is something they invented. This was a position that they were coerced into, but unfortunately reified colonial forms of knowledge, the knowledge that must be proven or scientific to be worth anything. Beyond its utility, yoga became popular in part because it reinforced European and anti-American and Euro-American ideas of India. Early Indian yoga missionaries played on the Orientalist construction of the, quote, West as progressive and superior, and the East as special but inferior. Yoga became and remains a practice which allows Western practitioners to experience the idea of another culture while focusing on the self. And obviously, that's really not true either because we invented it and we're kind of, I think, coming home in a certain way while we do it. Uh, you think I should possibly call back in on my cell phone as opposed to using my computer? That would be a better idea. Okay, so we're talking about uh, yoga and the roots of cultural appropriation. In today's consumerist age, yoga thrives because one can produce many products and start businesses using yoga as the foundation. The explosion of yoga studios, yoga videos, apps, yoga pants, and other yoga swag over the last two decades is evidence of this. Yoga contributes to our economic system, but never forget this system is built upon exploitation and commodification of labor and often the labor of black people and people of the global south. Well, there are many people who uh, have been exploited by uh, the yoga industry. I don't think it's just blacks and the global south, uh, but that's what they're noting here. Yoga, like so many other colonized systems of practice and knowledge, did not appear in the American spiritual landscape by coincidence. Rather, its popularity was a direct consequence of a larger system of cultural appropriation that capitalism engenders and reifies. While the misappropriation of yoga may not be life-threatening life racism, ridiculous, it is a part of a systematic racism nonetheless, and it is important to ask, what are the impetuses of this, for this cultural grabbing? So basically, we, the West, or whites, are grabbing yoga, even though it belongs to us. In order to delve deeper into this question, it's useful to look at the roots of the U.S. white dominant culture, the foundation of which is rooted in enslavement of West African settlers. And we all know who ran the slave trade. Our people only contributed about 2% to that population. The rest were mostly Jews. Decades of assimilation and the cultural stripping of Europeans as they arrived to the U.S. produced a white dominant culture. People of European descent replaced their ethnicities. German, Polish, English, Italian, with whiteness and the privilege that came along with that identity. This history is especially relevant right now because we are seeing white men taking to the streets in mobs shouting, we will not be replaced. Of course, they're uh, referencing Charlottesville there. We would argue one of the goals of white supremacy is to buffer white people from the pain that comes from the process of exchanging cultural grounding for the unearned power and privilege of whiteness. Nothing in that sentence makes any sense or anything based in reality. This looks like the hoarding of material resources and wealth into the hands, pockets, and bank accounts of white society. Well, we all know what that means. It's not white society, it's Jewish society. Meanwhile, in order to uphold the foundation and ongoing functioning of white supremacist and racial capitalism, white people are taught to be ahistorical and emotionally repressed. In order to maintain the status quo, white people are taught to subliminate and anesthetize their feelings, to feel whether joy, sorrow, or grief is to be countercultural in this country. Dominant culture teaches white people as well as people of color. And notice here that people of color, the P and the C, 
are both capitalized and white people is not capitalized. To numb through materialism, consumerism, entertainment, prescription and hard drugs and alcohol. And of course, we all know who's responsible for those toys, the Jews. It also socializes white people to consciously and or unconsciously misuse power and relate to others from a false sense of superiority. Again, insane. Most white people are not taught to confront and examine the painful and uncomfortable realities of racism and their complicity in it. It's the cycle of oppression, repression, and consumption continues. This complex socio-political reality of the U.S. is key to understanding how the cultural void of white society is intimately mixed with white supremacy, capitalism, and globalization. And it is within these oppressive structures that cultural appropriation and the yoga industrial complex flourishes. Again, all false. Yoga has become a very materialistic industry. Of course, we know who's running a lot of this. Uh, and this is just, you know, more, more and more bogus, more um, stuff just heaped onto us as being the bad guys as usual. People are grasping for something to belong and connect to outside the empty and the shallow societal anchors of materialism and consumerism, which do not nourish or empower people in any sort of meaningful or substantial way. Yes, that's true. I think a lot of people are looking to do that, especially a lot of people who listen to this network. People are searching for these things without even understanding why there is a void in the first place. Few people make the connection between their attraction to yoga and the cultural loss their ancestors and relatives experienced when they, brought in, when they bought into white dominant culture in order to access resources. Okay, so they're accessing resources in our culture and complaining about it. Many Europeans did not fully grasp what they were giving up and what they were investing in, yet many did and most arrived on these shores, chose to stay here rather than return to their home country. Few white people make the connection between their love of yoga and their desire and ability to assess traditions from historically oppressed communities of color. Again, we invented yoga. Most yoga teachers in America do not learn about Hindu tradition or Indian cultural history. Um, that's not true. A lot of yoga studios do teach those things, and a lot of um, retreats do as well. Generally, in the United States, people practice the physical aspects of yoga, the postures or the asanas, which compromise only one-eighth of the practice as a whole. That's true because there are eight limbs of yoga. The physical practice, think flowing from one pose to another with awareness of the breath, does help many people decrease stress, anxiety, and depression. However, when, quote, Western teachers train other practitioners to relate to yoga on the physical level without exploring the history, roots, complexity, and philosophy, they are perpetuating and recolonization of it by diluting its true depth and meaning. Well, I just think that's something that's happening because people are commercializing yoga and making money off of it and making it into a, a, like a weight loss trend as opposed to a, you know, a spiritual practice. This modern day trend of cultural appropriation of yoga is a continuation of white supremacy and colonialism, maintaining the pattern of white people consuming the stuff of culture that is convenient and portable while ignoring the well-being and liberation of Indian people. Again, so many things wrong with that sentence. We would be remiss if we did not acknowledge the far too few practitioners who go much deeper than just the physical into the ancient yogic teachings and do their best to humbly honor and learn from the lineage they have the privilege of accessing. It is possible for authentic, respectful, and accountable cultural exchange to occur and when the practices to have a profound healing effect on the practitioner. 
Herein lies the invitation for white yoga practitioners to go beyond an acceptable surface level relationship with yoga to a deeper, more transformative place of practice, awareness, contemplation, and engagement. Well, why wouldn't we want to go to that area? Of course, we want to take it as far as we can. I mean, look around most yoga rooms. It's mostly white people. And here they're singling us out saying that we're not able to get to that level or it's going to take us longer to get to that level. This is, this is all just ridiculous. Given a deeper analysis of yoga, white practitioners and teachers can engage in yoga in a decolonizing way that reduces harm and seeks greater cultural accountability. I don't really know how somebody would do that. First, they can be aware of the history, roots, and magnitude of the practice and give credit where credit is due. Yeah, they can tell other people that we invented it. Humility, respect, and reverence go a long way. More yoga teachers and studio owners need to create space for conversations about cultural appropriation and cultural accountability. They actually should, and they should tell people that we invented it. Additionally, there is a responsibility to explore issues around access. The cost of Western yoga classes can be prohibitive for low to middle income people. That's absolutely true. Yoga is expensive. A lot of people can't afford it. A lot of whites can't afford it. This often includes people of color, again, capitalized, including recent immigrants, such as Indian women, who this practice rightfully belongs to. The result of this middle class, the result of this middle class cisgender I'm sorry, the, re the result of this reality is that Western yoga is often represented and marketed in mainstream culture by thin, white, upper, middle-class, cisgender, able-bodied women. That just means uh, normal white women, essentially. That's, uh, that's the new speak version of it. I'm just telling you it means normal white women. You know that already. But uh, yeah, of course, we know who does advertising in this country and why they're doing that. Another layer to this reality is that the white dominant cultural values such as competitive individualism and either or binary thinking further distort and dilute the ancient teachings. They don't. Many people compete for the attention, time, and praise of their teachers while they are often treated as celebrities and many teachers and practitioners strive to promote their style or brand of yoga as the best or most superior form of yoga. Yes, that's true. Yoga has become very capitalistic, very materialistic, very plastic. All of this conspires to create a culture of elitism that is antithetical to the true roots of yoga, which is all about yoking the body, mind, spirit in order to remember our innate oneness and connection with universal consciousness. And that is true. Yoga does mean union in Sanskrit, so that is uh, what it means. But like I said on that broadcast with Kyle, you don't need an $100 candle or a pair of yoga pants to do yoga. Especially during this time with the underbelly of capitalism, white supremacy, cis-heteropatriarchy, and xenophobia is being exposed. It is imperative that everyone, especially those who have accessed spiritual practices like yoga, ask difficult questions of ourselves and one another. We must ask, in what ways are we complicit in a system that harms people of color, queer or trans people, poor people, people with disabilities, and immigrants. Uh, yeah, I know, just ridiculous. Despite our best values and intentions as individuals, our actions and inaction are inherently connected with a system of power, privilege, and oppression. If we want to honor the full yoga tradition and live into our values of love, unity, fairness, we must examine the ways we are upholding, quote, business as usual. And that is uh, the ending of that article. I just thought it was totally ridiculous, uh, just with all the stuff about 
not giving us credit for yoga and also blaming us for all the uh, things that are wrong with yoga. How ironic, how inverted. We invented it, yet we're responsible for all the ills uh, that it has uh, spawned. So now I wanted to go in to talk about uh, some really just uh, degenerate uh, trends in uh, the yoga world. This is some stuff that I was just, I couldn't believe it when I found it, and nothing really should shock me anymore, but uh, this is something, an article I found in uh, Australia a couple of years ago, and uh, it is this really bizarre trend called kink yoga, where they are combining um, domination, BDSM domination with yoga. So I'm going to uh, share this piece. Uh, this piece is from 2016. It's titled uh, Kink Yoga Involves Whips, Cuffs, Downward Dog, and the Dominatrix. Mistress Anna loves whips, latex, and S&M and is leading the charge on a kinky fetish that few people choose to talk about. Uh, when hardcore fetish involving whips, straitjackets, and leather chaps meets the downward dog and the child's pose, it's probably not a combination that springs to mind when you sit down for your daily dose of yoga. But for a small group of people in Sydney, Combining all the above is how they meditate and reach a realm of relaxation and mindfulness that usually comes within an hour or two of traditional yoga. It's called kink yoga and involves a downward-facing dog like you've never seen before. Mistress Anna and her, quote, kinksters opened the doors for uh, the feed on SBS. I guess that's um, the station that's taking care of it in Australia and allowed a journalist into their secret world of kink yoga. Uh, this person who's a journalist is Mr. Abood. Mr. Abood has never been into kink, bondage, or any form of S&M himself, but he's into yoga. So much so, he decided to give this relatively unknown workout a try and to find out how two polar opposites could come together and create a single form of meditation. Anna, who is a yoga instructor, a personal trainer, and a professional dominatrix, led the class around 10 participants through different movements and poses before launching into their desired fetish. Everything in the class is action, Mr. Abood told um, news.com.au. People are being flogged, whipped, tied up. They hold a pose while their kink stuff is played out. There was a man in furry play, a cross-dresser Irina in his 50s, another man in his late 20s who dressed like a puppy, and even someone who was into food play or splashing, where it's smeared all over the body. Uh, by the way, splashing is this really um, bizarre fetish. I'm just going to read a little side note on that. Uh, it's a term used to describe a fetish that involves smearing the body with wet and messy substance. The most common substance used during the splashing are food items, particularly whipped cream, chocolate sauce, custard, cake, and condiments. Other messy substances such as mud can also be used. Individuals aroused by splashing are aroused by watching someone get messy or by the feeling of the substances being smeared on their skin. So while these people are doing yoga, they're smearing food uh, on themselves. Lovely. Any kink gets played out during the yoga class. While it may sound like a group of people with fetishes getting together to act out their kinks, the start of the class is like any other standard yoga meet. Basically, the participants walk in and the room looks like a standard yoga class, Mr. Abood said. People are in their active wear. They roll out their mats and the meditation begins. We start with a prayer pose. It feels just like a normal yoga class, but then it gets more and more kink focused. And while I'm not into fetish or bondage, I had to allow 
Mistress Anna to tie me up and whip me. Calling mercy if it gets too much, Mistress Anna walks around the room in a latex bodysuit while holding a riding crop and is perhaps the most intimidating yoga instructor you'd come across. But the Sydney-based dominatrix, personal trainer, and yoga instructor admits that coming together to combine yoga and kink allows people who may be, quote, scared or nervous of ashamed of their fetish to meditate in a safe place. So whether it's splashing, pony play, or puppy play, they can, they can cross-dress or do, we, do yoga in the nude as well as getting fit and healthy, she said. Smearing or throwing food onto a slave or a submissive, Mistress Anna picks up cake and wipes the icing all over her hands and allows select participants to lick the food off her fingers. In the other corner of a dim-lit room, Dan, the traddy, has clamps, I don't know what traddy means, has clamps pressed onto his nipples while he lies on the floor. Dan says the yoga class is a place where he can work out in an environment that accepts him for who he is as well as feeling safe, and that's what brings him back on a weekly basis. Mr. Abood, while appreciating the alteration in his yoga regimen, though, uh, felt the pain factor he couldn't relax like he was in a typical class. For a lot of people, this type of yoga allows endorphins to be released and to feel amazing at the end. It's a safe place for them to live out their fetishes, feel good, and have same experience as others would have in a normal yoga class. They're not having the same experience people are having in a normal yoga class. Irina, who has been cross-dressing most of his life, said the class provided a safe environment for him to act out his fetish. The documentary was the first time he came out publicly about um, his uh, fetish. My fetish um, is to cross-dress like a service maid. With a little bit of pain, this is the first time I publicly acknowledge what I do, and my parents and brothers and sisters don't know what's going on. Of course, I'm sure you probably don't tell anybody. Everyone wants to be accepted, Mistress Anna said. We're bringing yoga into the public eye so people understand us better. We're not freaks. We're just doing things a bit differently. We are all people underneath our kink. This doesn't sound the least bit healthy to me, not in the least. When Irina isn't well Irina, he's just an ordinary bloke. I have a regular job and I have beers at the pub with my mates. But while the yogis out there may not see this as a traditional form of the ancient practice, Mistress Anna says kink yoga helps to transform the body and to be able to handle different variants of bondage. Supposedly, it has helped John through his illness by using a breathing technique as a relaxant. Well, he could use a breathing technique without getting whipped. I feel like I'm empowering participants and opening doors for them to take a step on becoming more of who they are and not to worry about being judged by other people. Kink and bondage require really deep breathing to handle the pain. Well, so do many, many ancient meditation practices that aren't uh, damaging. That's a cross, as to they're, they're beneficial. That's the crossover. A lot of the class is about being able to hold the poses for longer and take more pain. This is really meditative for people into kink. And while it wasn't for me, people who are into kinks, a form of meditation clearly comes into play. And that's the end of that piece. It looks like we're almost at our break time. I just thought that was ridiculous that they were taking an ancient sacred practice and turning it into just something just vile and degenerate. These people who uh, are going to a yoga class to get uh, beaten up or have food put all over their space or their body, these people need help. These people should do regular yoga to release that trauma as opposed to allowing someone to take advantage of them and uh, do this terrible stuff to them. I just thought it was another perversion uh, that's, you know, come around in the yoga community. 
So now moving on to our third topic, uh, there's some more degeneracy going on in the yoga world. I've noticed a trend where uh, all these leggings are very kind of almost dominatrix looking like, like a liquid leather. Uh, and they're made of this really bad quality nylon that's really unhealthy for the body. Uh, skin can't breathe when it's in this, you know, this really toxic uh, material. So that's something you're also seeing too. Not only are people taking these, uh, these kink yoga classes, but they're peddling this kind of uh, look to people, like this kind of BDSM, uh, you know, athletic yoga look. Here is Rabbi Steve Guttel, who was president and CEO of the Jewish Council for Public Affairs. There are two issues at the top of our agenda at the very moment. Uh, one is the unbelievably important immigration debate in this country. To make sure that immigrants from around the world, particularly those from south of our border, have a chance here. And here's an interview with Rabbi Goldschmidt. Essentially, what you're saying is that in these both, you're together with uh, both Muslims uh, yes, yes, yes. and people of other and, and, and we see ourselves together, f- fighting together with uh, our Muslim brothers. Thanks, Jews. Welcome back, uh, and we are talking about yoga today. Uh, this is a wild card. I'm Tabitha, and this is uh, the White Wellness Hour. So we were just talking about um, those pants that uh, they're showing a lot of people wearing today, these kind of BDSM-style yoga pants. Uh, so now I'm going to move on to some other uh, things I found, uh, other things that are degenerate uh, that kind of relate to all of this. So I, I happened about this. I'm not even sure how I got to this website. But it's called uh, Chakrubs, like the word chakra, C-H-A-K-R-U-B-S. And this was a website that was uh, peddling uh, sex toys. And they had some, you know, some basic things, but they also had some crystal sex toys made of actually like, you know, um, 
stones like amethyst and rose quartz and things like that. So I'm looking at it and I see that they have these these two things. They have a uh, a butt plug that's made of rose quartz or jade, and they're claiming that it does all these things. It has all these benefits to it. And they're selling a ball gag. Anyone who knows a little bit about um, BDSM will know what a ball gag is. Maybe they'll think of that program. I think that was on, was it Fox? I haven't had a television for years. Uh, I think it was called The Mick, where the child was wearing a ball gag and he was drooling. Uh, they're selling this website, Chakrabs, is selling this uh, ball gag made of obsidian, which is a black uh, crystal. They're selling this ball gag for $425. Basically just an obsidian uh, sphere that has some uh, pieces of chain on the side to put in your mouth. And they're claiming, this is insane, they're claiming that uh, wearing this ball gag will help you get in touch with a lesser known chakra called the uh, Talu chakra. This is not one that I've talked about before uh, on the network. The Talu chakra is uh, in the brain stem. So first you have the Ajna chakra, which is uh, the third eye chakra. That's the one that's number six. That's the one that's left out of the tranny flag. That's the um, indigo color. Think about where that one is on your forehead. And then you have the Talu chakra, which is at the brainstem. And there's another chakra called the Bindu chakra, which is uh, right at the back where the skull kind of uh, meets together. The three pieces of the skull fuse when, uh, when you're a child, they fuse together. So those are two additional chakras. Uh, but the Talu chakra, which is in the brainstem, this uh, obsidian ball that goes in the mouth, this ball gag, it's claiming that uh, wearing this ball gag gets... Um, gets you in touch with the Talu Chakra. And this uh, sounds like more perversion. And then when I was doing research on this, it got me to think that I think when you're wearing something like that in your mouth, it's probably going to force people into uh, an ancient uh, mudra, a very powerful mudra called a Kachari mudra. Babies actually do this naturally where you take your tongue and you kind of roll it um, back into like the back of your throat. And uh, when you do this, uh, it releases calming and soothing uh, hormones and senses of well-being. And you just basically have a, a tongue lock where you roll your tongue to the back um, of your throat and you'll kind of like feel it go down and you have your, your mouth closed while you're doing that. So I think that this, um, this obsidian ball gag that's over $400 is trying to mimic uh, Kachari Mudra while they take your money and, uh, you know, basically expose you to uh, degeneracy because they're claiming that, wearing this ball will uh, promote clarity when making difficult decisions, uh, ease past relationship trauma. And it's not to say that this stone, that these stones don't have healing benefits. I do think that certain, uh, you know, uh, gemstones do have healing benefits. I actually ripen my avocados next to an amethyst, and I feel that they ripen really well and really quickly when they're next to an amethyst. So I definitely feel that these stones have healing benefits and, and power. But wearing them in our mouths during a sexual act, I don't think that's going to be giving us much power. And now with the rose root, which was the rose quartz butt plug they were peddling, they're basically saying that sticking um, this piece of rose quartz into your butt is going to um, release blockages in your heart chakra uh, and provide comfort to those who are grieving in pain. So again, uh, they're taking advantage of people. This is the same thing with the kink yoga, taking advantage of people who are possibly in a vulnerable position or don't know any better, and they're going to waste their money and do these things and possibly even open themselves up to 
you know, negative or nefarious energy by engaging in these practices. I thought that was something that was uh, worthwhile sharing because it was just so ridiculous. So onward, I'd like to talk a little bit about Tantra. Now, Tantra is uh, basically the opposite of BDSM. BDSM being this uh, misogynistic, rough, quick, release-based release um, exchange. Tantra is the opposite. Tantra is a sacred and spiritual exchange of sexual energy. And the word Tantra means to weave or expand. And the idea is that you're connecting with yourself while doing this or others. So it's, it's about like a weave or a network or a web. And uh, you can do this with yourself to tune into yourself, or you can do this with a partner to deepen your relationship. So this is the exact opposite of BDSM, the complete exact opposite. And that's why they peddle all the filth that pornography is. Uh, that's why pornography is, you know, you could see making its way into the, um, the yoga realm because they'll do anything to pervert and, and muddy up uh, a good thing. So Tantra is really the type of sexual exchange that I think people should, I guess, work towards having and you know, moving away from that BDSM stuff. And people are often drawn to that because they're seeking something a lot deeper. They just don't know what it is because um, the better choices haven't been made um, available to them. So in Tantra, uh, it works on the five bodies. And the five bodies Tantra works on healing or, um, you know, basically uh, deepening the relationship with are the physical body, the energetic body, the mental, emotional body, the wisdom body or the inner teacher, and the bliss body. So this is something that you'd probably want to do with someone who um, you know well, who you're in a relationship with, uh, a trustworthy relationship. This is the exact opposite of uh, the type of uh, relationships that are often marketed that are just based on you know release and meeting someone just for um, that exchange. So this is this again is just to show you that there's always something else out there that uh, is good, but you have to see through uh, all the degeneracy and all the lies and all the filth to get to it most of the time. Now, something else I wanted to mention was spinal health. This is really important uh, to have a, a healthy spine. We touched on this also when I was uh, uh, on the solar storm that time recently. Uh, having spinal health and having a good flexible spine, especially as you get older, is really, really important. Uh, and kundalini yoga, which I've talked about before as well, is uh, the spinal yoga. It's the yoga that really works on uh, releasing the kundalini energy at the bottom of the spine. And kundalini in, um, in Sanskrit means coiled. So I'm just going to read this little blurb uh, that I collected. Uh, this was from, I believe, um, some, a back surgeon or a brain surgeon, something like that. And they were talking about uh, how kundalini can help uh, people who have pain but I think this is also uh, relevant information for everybody. Physiologically, how does kundalini-style yoga affect the spine? Kundalini yoga focuses on opening up all of your vertebral bodies. We have seven vertebral bodies in the cervical spine, then 12 in the thoracic spine, and five in the lumbar spine, and five make up the sacral spine. In a typical kundalini practice, you are starting at the very base of the spine at the sacrum and working on stretching every level as you work up the neck or the cervical spine. So you work at the bottom where the root is and you work all the way up until you get to um, the top. A large complement of, of, it, of, it, of it is rotating the joints. Joints, are the spine. joints in the spine are just like joints in the elbows, your shoulders, your knees. 
you can have inflammation of the spinal joints as they can get arthritic. People don't conceptually think about the spine in that way, so it's important to emphasize the inflammatory component. We have two sets of spine jo joints running vertically. The whole idea of this yoga practice is to start at the base, which is the root chakra, and work your way up and slowly ease the opening of the joint spaces through a process of rotation, loosening, and stretching. That works to open up not only the tendons, but also your muscles as you work your way up. The latter portion of kundalini exercises strengthens the core. The abdominal core muscles tend to get very lax, and when that occurs, the lower spine doesn't get strengthened, which can lead to chronic back pain. So doing this type of yoga, kundalini yoga, which is considered by many to be like the mother or like, you know, the beginning of all yoga, uh, it really helps to keep your spine flexible as well as to develop really strong core, like a really strong inner core. How often do you need to do kundalini yoga to reap the benefits? First thing in the morning is key. That's true. It's always good to uh, get into these things uh, when you first wake up. Get up and stretch the entire spine out. Start from the base of the spine and work all the way up. There have been many studies that show that if you can relax the musculature in the upper and lower back, it can really help with the psychological component of chronic pain. So that's just something I thought was really interesting. Uh, keeping good posture, having a flexible spine uh, is really, really important stuff. Very important. And I recommend that everyone uh, at least explore uh, Kundalini uh, just for those benefits, for the, you know, the spinal benefits as well as the mental benefits. It's a really uh, interesting practice. Of course, there's a lot of, uh, you know, bugs in that one too, like everything, but uh, you just have to kind of work your way through it and sift your way through it and see what you can find, what's true and what's not. And you can always uh, ask me because I might be able to tell you if uh, it's bogus or not. And then finally, I wanted to talk about um, why there's no white yoga classes or white yoga studios or white yoga retreats, but there is Jewish yoga and black yoga. But uh, we invented yoga. We're blamed for all the bad things in yoga, yet we can't have our own yoga. It's uh, really, really fucked up. So I just wanted to read uh, some information that I found on a couple of websites. Uh, this is a website. I typed in black yoga into Google, and I found this place called Women of Color Healing Retreats. And this is a place in Costa Rica. And this is great. I'm not going to uh, say that anyone else can't do yoga besides us. It's not about that. I think yoga is a beneficial practice for all races. Just I think we should get the credit where credit is due. But I do think that if other people are liking to do yoga, then fine, do it. I have, I have no problem with uh, anyone trying it. Uh, so what I'm going to talk about is just what this, uh, this one in Costa Rica offers. This is a black women's yoga retreat called Women of Color Healing Retreats in Costa Rica. And at these retreats where only black women are allowed to go, they're connecting their minds, body, and spirits through yoga. They go hiking on rivers. Um, they swim in the bluest oceans. They meditate among themselves and each other. And they engage in holistic self-care at a community of people who mirror them. Sounds fantastic. We like that too. Why can't have, we, we have something like that, right? Those all sound like great, awesome things that you'd want to do with your own people. And here's where it gets ridiculous. They're basically saying that this retreat is a sacred space that allows women to hear and see themselves in nature. That's true. But it's also a space to unwind and disconnect from the psychological trauma of systematic racism. And again, blaming colonialism and whites for the systematic racism, which is you know, enough already. If they want to have their own retreats and do their own thing, fantastic. Like I said, that's great. You know, just we want our own too. 
And now here's something I found from a website called Jewish Yoga. And the name of the website is called um, Tova Yoga. And Tova in uh, Hebrew means good or pleasing. So I guess this means good yoga. That's the name of the studio. So they have a program called um, Jewish Yoga. And it says, so what exactly is Jewish Yoga? Jewish Yoga, oftentimes called Torah Yoga, Shabbat Yoga, Shalom Yoga, Om Shalom Yoga, Musar Yoga. The Jewish religion and tradition simply doesn't have a component that focuses mindfully on the physical body beyond its eating and cleansing rituals. It looks like we possibly have a call. We do. Okay, I'll take that call. Hello? Hi, I'm just calling to listen. Oh, okay. Great. Thanks. Uh-huh. All right, I shall continue. Okay. The Jewish religion and tradition simply doesn't have a component that focuses mindfully on the physical body beyond its eating and cleansing rituals. Jewish yoga is a pathway back to unifying the great, unifying the great wisdom of the Torah and specifically Jewish wisdom with the body. It is yoga practice, meaning asana, postures, pranayama, breathing exercises, and meditation, just as you would do in any modern yoga studio seen through a Jewish lens. It is yoga in a spiritual language that speaks to Jewish souls in particular, or to those souls who have a broad, unlabeled view of the universe and wish to explore a variety of traditions to deepen a universal spirituality. Sounds like they're selling that uh, one world vision with that. For religious Jews, it is a more comfortable place to come back to their bodies without fear of treading in unkosher waters. For secular Jews, it is a comfortable bridge to the vehicle of the body to, be, to, be, to a specifically Jewish soul. Okay, so that's what that is. Uh, and then I thought it was kind of ridiculous that they had this quote on the bottom of the page, which is by um, Rumi. Rumi seems to be a person that a lot of uh, New Agers and yoga people uh, like. Uh, one second. Rumi, if people don't know, he's a poet, a uh, Sufi mystic. Uh, a Sufi is a, a follower of Islam. Uh, it's the mystical version of Islam. It's kind of like the Kabbalah of uh Muslim religion. So here's the quote that was on so this, uh, this little Rumi poem that was on this Tova uh, yoga page. Every war and every conflict between human beings has happened because of some disagreement about names. It is such an unnecessary foolishness because just beyond that arguing, there is a long table of companionship set and waiting for us to sit down. What is praised is one, so the praise is one too. Many jugs being poured into a huge basin. All religions, all this singing, one song. The differences are just illusion and vanity. Sunlight looks a little different on the wall than it does on that wall, and a lot different on this other one, but it is still one light. We have borrowed these clothes, these time and space personalities, from a light, and when we praise, we are pouring them back in. I just thought that was more obvious stuff about the whole one world uh, agenda, which is so, so, so big in the yoga world, so big, it's, uh, it's ridiculous, actually. So many people buy into it, too. And now I wanted to talk about this uh, other website that I found that was really weird. The good thing that they're doing is that they're exposing sexually uh, sexual abuse scandals in the yoga world, and there happen to be tons of these. Uh, a lot of them are Indian and Jews, men. Uh, some of them are whites, but they seem to focus on the whites and the being part of colonialism and white supremacy and 
all that ridiculous stuff. So I found this website called Decolonizing Yoga, and their logo is a communist fist, like pumping up in like a, a yellow back, a background. Yeah, and they have, these are the tabs they have on their website. Queer, trans, body acceptance, race, cultural appropriation, and feminism. And uh, they're basically, it's basically an anti-white, SJW, pro-degeneracy website, uh, like I said, disposing uh, sexual abuse. So I'm just going to read a little blurb about this. And the person who runs this goes by the name uh, B. Schofield, B.E. Uh, it's a man who is oh, living as a woman. Uh, they say transgender. I say gender dysphoria. So here's a little bit about this website. Decolonizing Yoga was created to provide news resources and support following the efforts to protest the 2013 Yoga Journal Conference held at the Hyatt Hotel in San Francisco. So these are these little um, conferences that Yoga Journal Magazine sponsors at um, you know, well-known hotels throughout the country. Hotel workers, community organizers, and unions had been participating in an ongoing boycott against the Hyatt to protest working conditions. On January 8th of 2013, there was a rally in front of the hotel, which included a yoga class and protest at the Yoga Journal Conference. A Facebook event was even started uh, to boycott this, and over 300 people signed it. Uh, after the Yoga Journal Conference on Decolonizing Yoga, uh, this website popped up, which was highlighting the voices of queer people, people of color, disability activists, and more in relationship to yoga, spirituality, and social justice. So again, more of the same um, stuff, more of the same complaints. And like I said, this is the person who started the um, website Decolonizing Yoga. I don't think this person is Jew. Doesn't look like it. I could be wrong. This person's name is B. Schofield, a queer trans writer, activist, a Martin Luther King scholar, a high-level digital strategist who has worked for New York Times selling best authors. She has broken, or he has broken, numerous stories that expose abuse, corruption, oppression. That's a great thing. But focusing on all the decolonizing yoga stuff and blaming us, that sucks. Reports of yoga abuse in the world. And uh, B holds a psychology philosophy degree, has done coursework in post-colonial anthropology, and holds a Master of Divinity from Star King School for Ministry in the Unitarian Universalist tradition with emphasis on women's studies, religion, sacred dance, African-American religion, and Buddhism. Standard SJW, SJW stuff. So yeah, that's... Uh, just something else. Like I said, the whole thing about um, calling out sexual abuse in the yoga community, I commend that. And there seems to be an awful lot of that, especially coming out now. It's really just disgusting. Uh, but all the other stuff I could completely do without. Let's see. There was one more thing that I think I wanted to mention. We have about oh, less than 10 minutes left. If anyone wants to call in, uh, feel free to call in. I will take your call. Let's see what else we have to share. Yeah, so the Kachari Mudra that I was talking about before, that's a really good um, yoga move to try. Uh, and this chakra is a chakra that uh, supposedly you, can, you have to kind of open up the first seven, uh, the root, the sacral, the solar, the heart, the throat, the third eye, and the crown. You have to open all of those first before you can get to the top ones. Like you can't just choose and say, oh, I want to open the heart chakra. You have to start at the bottom and work your way up. Uh, there's no, no cheats in this one. So that's uh, something else I wanted to say about the Talu chakra. Uh, and what else can I talk about for the next couple of minutes? Uh, I guess I can talk about, hmm. oh yes, something else I had. 
another type of yoga uh, that I found out about recently called Kemetic Yoga. Uh, that's K-E-M-E-T-I-C. Uh, this yoga has attracted a lot of black people. Um, it started in Egypt. I'm assuming from what I know of what I know that um, this, again, was our people in Egypt uh, doing yoga and Blacks have attached themselves to this kind of like to, you know, meld with the we was Kangs type of ideology. So I think that's kind of where this is coming from. Uh, but anyway, they're doing this type of yoga called Kemetic Yoga. Uh, and uh, they're talking about certain things that revelations from King Tut's tomb. Uh, and they talk about the things they found when they went into King Tut's tomb. And these all sound like things that are completely in line with uh a lot of the traditions that are in North India that which for, from our people. The sun disc at the top of the head uh, representing the crown chakra, that's for King Tut. Uh, two serpents on each side of a sun disc representing the two primary nadis. Those are the channels that go around. That's the uh, Ida and the Pengala. If you've ever seen the caduceus, the medical symbol on the back of a, an ambulance, the Ida and the Pengala are the two snakes swirling up, and the Shushuma is the um, uh, the, the pole down the middle. The hieroglyphic inscriptions make reference to eternity and to the achievement of mortality, immortality. Uh, the person or deity pictured in the posture uh, was associated with life energy, breath, life force, and a life force found in the air. Those all sound like very, um, you know, Vedic uh, things. Uh, so yeah, this is just another type of thing where it seems like they're doing yoga. Like I said, I have no problem with people doing yoga from um, different races, but again, trying to distort something that belonged to us and not giving us credit, number one. That's something that a lot of people do not know, that uh, our people uh, were responsible for the Rig Veda, which included yoga, tantra, and Ayurveda, and uh, also blaming us for all the white supremacy in the uh, the yoga movement, which is doesn't exist. Yoga has become extremely uh, materialistic, which is really unfortunate because uh, it's really a wonderful practice and you don't need to have tons of money uh, or the best yoga pants or any of that stuff to uh, be successful in it. There are many free videos you can watch on the internet. There are many books you can buy. Uh, you don't have to, you know, be very wealthy to be able to do yoga. I have one last thing that I want to talk about uh, just to kind of fill in the extra time. Uh, I wanted to mention uh, a simple thing that I do to keep my skin in good condition. Uh, this is something that guys or gals can be doing. Uh, there's a product. It's an herbal uh, tea product called Swiss Chris. That's Swiss, like a Swiss cheese, and Chris, K-R-I-S-S. And it's a laxative tea, actually. Uh, you can drink it for those purposes. But what I do is I take the loose tea and I put it into uh, a little bag, like a little bag. I buy loose tea bags, and I fill them up with, uh, with herbs. And I pour hot water. I put it in a big uh, glass bowl, and I pour hot water over it. And then I put my face over it, and I steam. I put a towel over um, my head, and I allow myself to take the steam vapor in while I breathe it. It's really good for opening up the sinuses. And um, it steam cleans the face and allows all these nice herbs to go into it. It's been a a secret that's been around, uh, I think, since like the 20s or something like that. Uh, it's uh, something that I think a lot of uh, Hollywood people were known for uh, doing. And uh, it came about through a self-help guru that was popular during, like I think, like the 20s uh, named Gaylord uh, Hauser. Uh, and he talks about, you know, numerous ways to uh, keep 
young and all this. And this was one of his things that he recommended to people to steam their face with this uh, herbal laxative, which contains licorice root, lemon verbena, and uh, peach tree. And it's really nice. I've I've done it uh, numerous times. I try to do it at least once uh, a week if I can. And then after I steam my face when it's open, I will put um, like a nice clay mask on. So the pores are all open from the herbal steam. So at that point, it's a really good time to put a mask on so you can, uh, you know, really uh, cleanse your skin because everything is open. So, uh, yeah, that's an a inexpensive beauty tip. You don't have to spend hundreds of dollars on uh, skin creams either, just like $100 yoga pants. You don't have to do that. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you don't, it doesn't take uh, a lot of money to be able to access these things. It just takes, I guess, a little bit of time and awareness to kind of sift through a lot of the bullshit that's out there. Uh, and, uh, you know, just keep it keep it simple is really a good idea with everything, especially with yoga. But I didn't even know a lot of these things existed. Like the kink yoga, that was something that was entirely new to me. I didn't know that that was something, uh, not something I'd be interested in, but just it just shows me how low uh, things have fallen, you know, how low the world has fallen. Uh, it's just, it's ridiculous. It really is. But it, it shouldn't keep anyone away from trying yoga. Yoga is a great practice for men and women. It's a uh, great for healing. It's great uh, for breathing. It's great for everything. So I would really recommend that all people should uh, at least check it out just for the stretch, even if you're not doing it for the meditative uh, purposes or the breathing purposes, just for the the good stretch. It's really good for your hamstrings and your back and and all that. But uh, just remember that there's a lot of stuff out there that's against us. And this was just reading through these articles, especially this one about the yoga and the cultural appropriation uh, that one really just gave me another feel for uh, how much we're hated. It's really, really messed up. But that one kind of let me see it like in a totally different light from a different perspective because I didn't see that before. So I thought that was something that kind of opened my eyes. That's why I wanted to share it with others. Yeah. So um, that's that for the uh, the White Wellness Hour. I hope everyone enjoyed the show, found some uh, good information, uh, food for thought, and uh, yeah, I guess we have about one minute left and then the show will end. So yeah, thanks very much for everyone who uh, who watched the show or listened to the show rather. And maybe I'll do this again sometime. Thank you. Yes, we do need Aryan yoga. You're right. We do. We need it more than ever. Good night, everybody. Bye-bye. It's just as well I'm not the one who caused the storm of fire Or I would turn this battle plane into your funeral pyre The priests all say I must not hate, but I will not pretend I saw the wreck you made of her, my herald and my friend The scars you left in flesh and soul will be so slow to fade Or would I had your coward heart beneath my naked blade Always wanted to be a pickup artist? Need those extra shekels? Well, join Juba. Juba, with their Jewish partners, the Italian Coast Guard, and other NGOs, are recruiting now. 
we require sea taxi transporters to pick up Negroes out of the Mediterranean. The more bodies, the greater the pay. No sat-nav required, it is a one-way fare, and that is northwards to Europe. So join Juba today. Let's increase white genocide and make those shekels on the side. Juba, the transportation company.